Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. I have to say, if it wasn't for the good weather, I would be gone off my game a small bit. Uh, I was off the last five days. Thank you to D for Thursday and Friday, by the way. Uh, I have a few days off, spent it with the family. Who else do you get to spend it with? But certainly, if it wasn't for the good weather and the ability to sit out in the open air with a book or whatever or had to get out into the garden and do something in the garden, it, it, you'd lose your mind. You really would. And with three more weeks of it, but we have to do it. We absolutely have to do it. We've no choice. And I don't even think it'll end in three weeks. And let me be the first one to say that to you. I don't think it'll end in three weeks. I think after three weeks, they'll ask us to give them another two weeks. That's just my feeling. Over the weekend, actually, there were still cars out. Pictures from Travor, Tremor Valley Park packed to the gills videos from the lock packed to the gills people might say oh i'm only out with me family Nah, there isn't 16 in your family come on at least they're not all in the same place at the one time i saw it happen myself up around maryborough hill people meeting together in green areas sitting around in a circle shouting at each other because trying to social distance but this is not what you're supposed to do it's not what you're supposed to do down in west cork uh, superintendent, or Chief Superintendent Cadigan was saying there was no visitors from the UK that he got to hear about, but some people had been cocooning in their holiday homes, which is interesting. We might catch up with Khan uh, throughout the course of the morning if he's got five minutes to give us. 1850-715-996 the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and your email opinion at 96fm.ie as we head into a new week we look at the numbers now the numbers are a little confusing because what's happening is that these tests that went to germany are now coming back now my understanding is they're not all coming back together they're coming back in clumps which means that yesterday we were told there was 527 new cases had been discovered here and then 465 cases in the backlog from Germany, as con- confirmed. They're a couple of weeks old, those tests. We now stand, as of this Tuesday morning, at 
647 cases in the Republic of Ireland and we've had 365 people die. And our thoughts are with each and every one of them and their families. And the more you follow it now on social media, the more you realise that somehow it's going to come into a circle that you know. It mightn't be your own direct circle, but a circle that you know. With 31 deaths announced yesterday in the world this Tuesday morning. Remember I was talking to that brilliant young man in America last week, Avi Schiffman, the young lad who has compiled the website that they're now all following. According to his website this morning, there are 1 million 932,419 confirmed cases. You can take it, I'm sure, that we'll go over 2 million, if not by tomorrow, then certainly by Thursday. 119,985 people have now died as a result of COVID-19. But, and this is the important figure, the one that is slow to build up for the reasons that we said uh, several days past, It takes a while to recover from this thing. It takes, if you get a a lash of it, which a lot of people do, it can take up to three weeks or a month to shake this thing off. So the total of fully recovered people now around the world, 451,475. And we'll come back to those numbers, I'm sure, uh, over the next couple of hours. But the criminals are taking advantage. And there's been quite an amount of crime vandalism, antisocial behaviour and daylight robbery literally emerged particularly over the course of the last couple of days. James Toomey from the Boys and Girls of Knocker Page has been documenting it as best he can. It's problematic now James isn't it? Good morning to you. Hi PJ good morning to you. Um, it is, it is it's, it's kind of a bit mental there now. I think people are just taking advantage. These people are taking advantage of um, a bad situation that we all find ourselves in you know. What have, what have you seen or heard? Well, I, I, I have heard of what's going on there. Like, I mean, two weeks ago, there was almost 20 cars um, broke into down the Cathedral Road, uh, Ori Road, all that kind of area, you know? Yeah. And the last couple of days, uh, well, I'm hearing five houses were definitely robbed. It could be more, you know? Yeah. In around that same area again. It, yeah. it's, it's crazy. We had statues vandalised as well. We did. The one up in Blarney Street. I actually passed it yesterday myself, and uh, I didn't realise it was damaged. But uh, just since you brought it up, credit to a lady there called Jennifer Leahy and her son Stephen. They took it upon themselves yesterday afternoon to go up and actually paint statue white. Paint, paint out the graffiti, what they wrote in the, the statues, you know. This is the Trinity, isn't it? Up right up, as you go up to the very, very top of Blarney Street up there. You That's come right, to the yeah. Trinity at the top, and they daubed red paint around it. and did just, just stupid stuff. Absolutely. Stupid stuff. Super, absolutely. Like you have to wonder it. what the hell are you achieving? Exactly. Yeah. What, like, what's the sense of it? Like, what, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just craziness. Like, you just couldn't make it up. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with these young fellas. Is it that they're bored? You know, like with the, with the whole lockup? You know what I mean? To just get notes. I, I, you know? But that's just the point, James. They should be at home. Do you know? They shouldn't even be out in it. There's alone painted statues. Sorry, PJ, I lost you there for a yeah, second. Yeah, that's okay. I'm saying, are they bored? I don't care whether they're bored or not. They shouldn't even be out. I know. That's, I was just going to say, they should what, be home. You, you, you try and get into their heads. What, what, what possesses them, yeah? No, you're right. They shouldn't be out. They should be at home. 100%. I mean, that comes down to the parenting, you know? Mm. I mean, I mean, you know, like maybe a lot of these parents are you know, that what their kids are not all the nice Johnny that they thought they were, you know? Yeah. I mean, that they're at home with them. I live in 
Douglas and there's a, yeah. a centre not far from me and there's a little alleyway behind it and I yeah. went up last night for, for the essentials as you do milk and bread mm. and that kind of thing and I was sitting in my car watching there must have been seven of them down the alley and they weren't all from the one family I can tell you that now Oh yeah, look, I see it myself. I see it myself where I live out in Ireland, and uh, there's a couple of lads out there in the corner. It's everywhere. Yeah, that line is not the May West at all, James. You know, like we've never experienced this before. Yeah, and I think the youngsters are going around with with the mindset, look, I'm I'm, I'm safe, you know, because the media is putting out that only old people are getting passing away with this disease, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's where their heads are. I, I, I just don't know, you know? It's just... it's, it's just if, if that's the case, their parents need to have a word, world. James. It really, if that's the case, their parents really need to have a word. 100%. I'm also getting reports, and I think you have two, but none of us can pin it down. Even though we are all at home, the one thing mm-hmm. we have to be wary of is our houses are being cased. Yeah. No, you. I tell you there, no, there's a lad, he messaged me the other day saying that he's going to go... Not. He's not, not like a vigilante. He says he's just going to make his presence around that area. I just spoke about Ori, Ori Road there and Cathedral um, Road. Yeah. And he actually came across the guy the other night. He actually put a video up on the boys and girls in Oka office. And he approached the guy. But I spoke, I rang him and I spoke to him. He says he actually spotted your man. And you know, he says, same guy was just taking pictures of houses as he was passing. This was about half one on a Sunday night in the rain. Yeah. You he know, ain't no estate agents. Like... Walk around, you know, because he knows a lot of the neighbours up there. And he said, look, if, if I show a presence around, these people might, you know, might start him, you know. But yeah, he said, yeah, you're 100% they're dark casing houses, you know. And a lot of old people are scared in the area, you know. Yeah, they are. They are, and it's the old and people in that- particular. I, I read a story on Cork Bio over the weekend of a woman, uh, or the man, a woman of 91 injured. That's right, I saw that. Charlie. They just don't care, James. Absolutely. They don't care. There's no fear in them. You know, they just don't care. They're like, he wants the repercussions, you know? Really, yeah. what, what, what are they? What's going to happen to them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. The thing should be stricter. Like, there was, there was a girl put up a post as well on my page there, and she said, uh Nemo wrote there now again, saying that um, she was there one night early in the morning, and she heard the door um, trying to be opened, and she thought it was the husband who works nights coming home early, and she went downstairs to the light, and she just said she saw a shadow at the door. It's actually on the page. She saw a shadow at the door and, and it just walked away. She said she was absolutely petrified, you know? Yeah. So that's what people are up against, you know? Yeah. So at the moment, I mean, and the guards are doing, I know the guards are hardly still stretched and they are doing a bit, but like one guy suggested, even if there was a security firm going around, you know, and, you know, it can ring the guards, you know, because the guards can't be everywhere. Yeah. To understand that, but he's something, anyway, some kind of a presence around that area just to, you know, because people, these guys know people are all, they're all locked up in their homes and there's no one out in the boat, you know? Yeah. With the yeah. lockdown, you know? Yeah. Like, even if it was a curfew or something, you know? Yeah. You see, the problem is, the minute you mention curfew, people start screaming police well, state. They do. Yeah, but look, with where, where, where things are at the moment, like, I mean, I don't think anybody has any business on the street at 11 o'clock. No. You know? At night time. No. With the way things are going, you know? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Nobody no. needs eggs that badly. No, exactly. you're not. Exactly. All right, James, listen, keep up the great work yourself. Good no man. Problem. Thanks very much. That's James Toomey from the Boys and Girls of NACA uh, Facebook page, which is a brilliant resource at the moment, it, all year round anyway, but it's a brilliant resource at the moment with people sharing ideas and just chatting to each other and supporting each other through these rough times for us all. 1850 715 996. Now, the guards have enough to be doing. 
so too do the public representatives. But, Councillor McNugent of Sinn Féin, Mick, if, if, if houses are being cased, we have a problem. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Yeah, um, I'd say there's, you know, there was a report of activity um, over the weekend, suspicious activity in that. And as you mentioned there, that, that lady, 91 years of age, um, and that is Borgley at her home there two weeks ago. You know, it was terrible, terrible at that age to have to have to go through that, like, you know. What what it, what can be done? I mean, the guards are stretched as it is, trying to keep people locked down and keep them from travelling off to West Cork to their holiday homes. What can be done? Well, uh, I think what I was saying um, previously in, on social media, I think one thing people all people can do, or residents can do, and local communities can do, is just keep an eye out for each other. You know, the streets are quieter um, at night time. You know, it is quieter even during the day. You now, obviously. That people look out for their neighbours, um, check in on their neighbours, check in um, people around the place, and just report any suspicious activity, you know, which were people were doing over the weekend. Uh, number one or two individuals that people were saying are up to no good, looked like it was up to no good. People were reporting that on social media and reporting the areas involved as well. And, and I mean, that's helpful uh, for any investigations going on. But, you know, just when you have... 90-year-old woman who was assaulted in her own home by two individuals, you know, I think I think the authorities just need to take a firm hand there and people need to pass on inf- any inf- information. I don't know, PJ, maybe individuals involved to get a remark to conscience and just hand themselves in, like, you know, but I think and if that make, was... Just, make, yeah, make. Tell, well, me, tell me the one about, Tell me the one about Snow White, if you're going to believe that. They're not, like... Yeah, well, look, you know... I would, I would say that's what uh, people should reflect. Yeah. In this case, in this case, ninety-one-year-old uh, woman, PJ. In any case, if people have any information, and um, they should pass it on. And people need to be looking out for their for the communities at this time. Well, like, you I know? mean, you know, horse whipping is too good for the people who did that. Like, let, let's just call it as it is. Yeah, you have a woman. You know, you have a lady here who's raised, you know, a large family. Um, in the area, living in the terrace off Cathedral Road, you know, and late on a Saturday night, dance to the door and for people just to push in, um, ransack the house, you know, it just really it boils the blood PJ when you hear about something um, like that. And I know people are will be upset about it, like, but look, hopefully the guard investigation into it is ongoing and um, will will be successful, but. People just need to look out for each other now in the, yeah. in, the, in the time ahead. I'm sure people people will do that. And if information, they can pass it on to the guard yeah. or, even, or even pass it on to me. And I'll pass it on to the relevant authorities, like, you know. Yeah. Mick, are we very busy in terms of trying to help people? I know, and I'll read, I'll read out the, the, the helpline numbers for the yeah. both of the councils there, just to the yeah. fullness of yeah. But are you busy with, with um, requests for help and assistance, particularly for those who are cocooning? Yeah, we had we have a city council meeting actually this evening, so we'll get a report there. Um, obviously, you've mentioned your fairness. You've you've you know you plugged the community, the COVID response, and last week there was up to three hundred odd um, calls to that uh, phone number in in city council, and I expect you know we'll get a report this evening. There'll be a lot more. Um, you know, as you know, I'm Saint Vincent's. We're we're helping out uh, penny dinners and. Um, the impact community page are involved in that as well. So and that's busy, uh, PJ. Um, uh, Kenny Collins, some school, we call up there most evenings and 
you know, it's you know, it's busy. It's very busy. It shows you that the level of need uh, that's out there now, and obviously that's increased with the situation that's going on. Yes. So, I think there is a lot. You know, um, the community response is, uh, is good. Is actually is very good. I think this, you know, things like this can bring out the best of people. But there is a lot of need there, and as the weeks go by, the months go by, that I'm sure that will only will only increase. Like so. Uh, we had that meeting this evening from the council and we get an update. How, how, are you, how are you conducting that, Nick? Allowing for social distancing and all that? Yeah, the last um, couple of uh, meetings have been online. We're just using a tool there, um, a Microsoft Teams. So it's an online meeting. So, okay. um, it's been, yeah, I think it's uh, obviously a bit of a, it's a, bit of a change in uh, how, you, how you'd operate. <laughs> Shout, shouting across the chamber at Terry Shannon must be fun when, <laughs> in that well, kind of a setup. You have 31 councillors online now um, putting their hand up or trying to trying to be heard. Like, so it's an interesting way. Oh, my heart goes out to John Sheehan. Like, my know. heart goes out to John Sheehan listening to that. Honest to God. Uh, I find, in uh, fairness, uh, John shares as well. I think people at this stage you know are just people who want to work together. I you know, know, yeah, I know yeah. we miss but, uh, but at least you know. it's, it's continuing. All right, Mick, listen, yeah. leave it there. Keep up the good work that they're all doing, our public reps at the moment. That's uh, Councillor. Mick Nugent of, of, of Sinn Féin. I just have this notion of 31 of them up on a screen and the poor Lord Mayor trying to keep order and people like Mick and Terry Shannon and Ted Tynan and pick anyone you like from Philly Gale and they all fighting with each other. Oh, God, someone needs paracetamol and whiskey when all that is over. So they do. 1850-715-996. I mentioned... Statues and uh, James mentioned uh, Jennifer Leahy, who went and fixed a statue after damage had been done to it. I'll catch up with Jennifer next. 1850-715-996, Tuesday's Opinion Line. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. So you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then get the must-have app. So you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app today. And listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts. And get all the latest Cork news. And if you've a smart speaker, speaker. ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Mentioned that, you know, parents should be having a word in their teenagers' shells to say, lad, stay there, watch Netflix, do something, but you're not to go out, you're not to gather with that crowd down by the shop. It's not on. Then you have other parents who do the right thing and other young people who do the right thing. And Jennifer's son went up with his mom to just help as best they could after statues were vandalised. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning, PJ. What happened? It's the, the, are we talking about the Trinity here at the top of the, the, the uh, uh, Blarney Street? Yeah, at the very top of Blarney Street. Right on the junction there. What, yeah. Uh, did someone paint red faces on it or what happened? 
Yeah, it's the second time now that it's happened. Um, they destroyed it as well in uh, around March, uh, only a couple of weeks ago. They they wrote words across the forehead of two sta- of two the statues and put red paint coming out their eyes. Right, and it happened again the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So it's obviously the same person because it's the same wording, same color paint. It's bright red paint, I think. Bright red, what, yeah. What words were were they writing, or are they ones we could broadcast? I don't think they're ones that we could broadcast at all, no. Okay, okay. So what did you do? Um, well, like everybody else, I had to paint out, painting everything. So me and my son, we, a girl from my estate, seen it and posted it on Facebook. So I seen it, and me and my son went down then to, to paint it. And to be fair, he done most of it. <laughs> yeah, you you supervised. Yeah, <laughs> and chatted because there was a lot of people passing up and down, checking it out. And there was another one or two came down to to help as well, but it was already done. Yeah. How old is Stephen? Isn't it? How old is he? He's eleven. He's eleven. Yeah. He must be bored out of his mind, is he, Jennifer? Really? He's actually not too bad. We're doing a lot of stuff at home, like baking and art and crafts and stuff. He's actually been very good, to be fair. Yeah. Have you got a garden? Um, we we have a back garden, yeah. Yeah. It's a saving and grace when you have it, to be fair. Yeah. You can get out in it, yeah. you know. And we, we're looking right down on top of the grotto, so we have a big green area that yeah. they can grow in. So yeah. I was just about yeah. to ask, actually, you're well within your two kilometres there. If, oh, if I, if you, yeah, yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Well, look, fair play to him, fair play to you. Um, no and it's just, you, you have to wonder, like, what to be broken yeah. in people to yeah. go and do that. Yeah, it's absolutely terrible. I just hope they're caught. Yeah. How long do you think, and you and your neighbours, I suppose you chat out on the green at a safe distance. Like, what, how, what, how are people handling the, the boredom of this? We just have to, I suppose. Yeah. There, there's no other choice but to handle it. Yeah. Like, there is a lot of things to do around the house. There's, only, well, I suppose there's only so much cleaning you can do. <laughs> Painting and... It, like I do go out and chat to my neighbour as well because she's on her own so she stays in our porch and I'm out the end of the garden and we have our chat yeah, so yeah. it's grand do you have anybody that you can't see at the moment that you miss um, my parents I suppose and my grandmother she's a, she actually loves me to step in she's listening at the moment what's I her think, name so. Breda Morning, Breda. Morning, Breda. How are you? Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough yeah. that way, isn't it? Yeah, and the kids, the kids miss their grandparents as well. So, mm. and and their aunts and uncles. Yeah. But it's, first, all, first it's all for the best. It's yeah. all for the best. Jennifer, well done to you and well done to Stephen. No all right. You Thank take, you very take much, care. Please. Stay safe. All right. Stay clear yeah. of that damn thing. Cheers. That's Jennifer Leahy. 1850 996. And, and you know, that's great. That's an 11 year old lad going out with his mom to do that bit of work within the two kilometres of home. Uh, Dave on WhatsApp says, PJ, you'll get the parents and the adults saying the poor chickens have nothing to do. They're bored. Tough. Sorry, like, tough. Not supposed to be out. And a lot of them are in and behaving themselves. Loads of them, loads of 18, 19, 20-year-olds have gotten jobs in their local shop, which is great, uh, where retail is, is hiring people. But there's loads of them hanging around in little gangs. I saw one of them last night. I was sitting in my car and I bloody Egypts, would you go home? And your parents are bigger Egypts. 
Michael says, how are people breaking into houses when everyone's supposed to be locked in at home? I thought our houses could never be safer. Wouldn't you think that, Michael? You sure would. Can the army not get involved now to help out the guards, asks Dan. They don't need guns, just a presence. I'm worried at the moment. Patricia Casey was writing in the Irish Independent, I think it was yesterday. I know I read it, I just don't know whether it was yesterday. All the days blur into one now. But she believes we've walked into a police state. Sorry, no, but this is not a police state. If you've ever lived or experienced a police state, we're nowhere near it yet. We're nowhere near it just yet. 1850 715 996. Uh, hi, PJ. Granabar Credit Union will only take loan repayments. My husband was in the credit union last week and heard the clerk telling an elderly lady to keep her savings at home till this is over. There were about 10 other people in the queue. I don't know if you want to highlight this. It might be too dangerous, but you might get onto the credit union. Thank you, says Jackie. We could do that. We could do that. We could ask the credit union, can you put money into your account as you normally would? Because I'd hope that you can. 1850 715 You might have seen a television interview over the weekend with a man called Dave Crabb. Uh, Dave Crabb has survived COVID-19, but Dave Crabb and his wife got a desperate fright. He's a young, fit, healthy man, and he damn near died. I'll talk to Dave in a few minutes. 1850-715-996. The HSE information line, should you need it, is 1850-24-1850. 1850-24-1850. That's for any information to do with coronavirus with the HSE's number 1850-24-1850. If you need help from the City Council, their number is 1800-222-226. That's 1800-222-226. And the County Council's number is 1800-805-819. That's 1800-805-819. One, nine. If you think you can hear someone drilling into the side wall of Studio One, no, you can't. That's actually the air conditioning, um, which is going like a train over my head. But believe me, I need the studio to be at 19 degrees. If I turn that thing off, it goes up to about 25 and I will suffocate in here. So apologies if that's bothering you. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. And I'll give out those numbers again at some stage during the morning for the city and county councils. For the most part, and I stress that, for the most part, this virus is making people in their 60s and older seriously ill. For the most part. For the most part, the people who die are very elderly. Sadly, over half of them And I'm sure that's something that will be a running story. And when all this is over, many questions will be asked as to why. Pretty much over half of the people who have died in Ireland, the 365 of them have died in our nursing homes. We need to know why that happened. But a lot of young people are getting this. The youngest person to die was only 30. And we should remember that. But uh, Dave Crabb, it's it's 45 you are, Dave, isn't it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Yeah, 45, yeah. And you'd be in generally good health? Yep. Uh, go to the gym regularly, keep myself fit. Um, 
no other issues, no underlying health issues or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, genuinely quite fit. So, so when did you begin to feel off-colour and, and what did you do? Uh, we just come back from a trip um, to New York um, just near the uh, beginning of March. Um, started to feel flu-like symptoms, you know, aching everywhere, um, all the bits and bobs, mm. banging headache. Um, temperature. The temperature, the, the whole nine yards, just feeling generally unwell. Um, that went on for about two days, thinking, Ash, or, um, you know, you hear it on the news, people mm. are not getting it so, so serious when they're and, younger. And did you so. isolate yourself, or what did you do? Yep, yep, so I stayed indoors, stayed in my room, um, uh, just isolated myself where I was in the bedroom. Everyone else moved downstairs and into the other rooms. Um, but yeah, it was on the third day where the breathing difficulty started the, the, with the chest, um, just sort of really struggling to get a breath, a full breath. And did that happen quickly? Yeah, yeah very quickly, yeah. So two days with a temperature and then in the middle of the night um, started struggling with the breathing. Uh, the next day, I think my missus went to work. Uh, I said, "Look, I'll be, I'll be fine." I just stayed in the bed. Um, by that evening, I was really bad, as it like couldn't really struggling to to, to breathe. Someone, someone we, described it as the same feeling you have when you've run for the bus when you're just sitting there. Yeah, it it, it was a bit, a little bit, felt a bit worse in for me. Uh, it, it felt like. Um, uh, you, when you try and take a breath, your lungs fill, but you haven't got enough in. Gotcha. So There's something else I mean? in there blocking you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you, you just can't get enough oxygen in. That, is, that um, must be a scary feeling, is it, Dave? It is, yeah, it was. It was, you're thinking, oh, Jeannie, now this is serious, you know, this is um, um, getting bad, you know. So, so, so what, what did you do? Had you been tested at that stage, no? No. Um, so at that, that, that stage, we rung the GP, and the GP said, look, I'll ring ahead to um, CH. Um, so they rung ahead and said, look, bring him straight in. They've got a special um, section where they um, assess you uh, for COVID as you go in. They took the swab, um, took some vitals, and they could see it was bad. So they took me straight up and straight into um, uh, a ward, at the, first of all, the first day put me in a, an isolation room and then just run some tests. Um, very quickly, I think they came back within, what was it, a day and told me, yeah, that it's confirmed that it's um, the COVID-19. Right. So did they say they were going to keep you in? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. So at that stage, my, my oxygen levels were quite low, so I was on oxygen and they kept going down. Mm. I think in, in within 30 hours of... Of this, of me going in, going into that room, um, it was just a downhill slope. So just struggling even more, and then they they made the decision to put me on the last fall. Now talk to me about that moment. <coughs> you were still conscious. You were still there, but you were very weak. Yeah, yeah. So that that moment that they've come in, they've you know that they're, they're saying, look, you're on nearly full oxygen mask here, and you're still your sats are below what they need to be. Um, normal, normal sats. That's the oxi oxygen level in your you. oxygen levels. Yeah, so they you should have be to be sitting. above ninety-five most of the time. Exactly, and I was sitting around the eighty-nines. Oh God, that's dangerous. So they were, look, you know, you're struggling. So what happens is your body's getting weaker and weaker because you're struggling more and more to, to to get the breath. So they come in and <coughs> excuse me and um, said, look, 
we really need to um, uh, put you under and put you on the, the ventilator. Um, and it happened so quick. I mean, you're, as they're saying, that they're, they're all prepping. I think I had about two minutes to ring home. Um, Could you talk uh, at that stage? Just about. Um, enough to have a quick conversation, tell the kids I love them, tell the missus I love her, and, yes. you know, tell them what's happening. Were you frightened? Yeah, at that stage, yeah. You think everything goes through your mind. Do you know what I mean? Even though it's so quick and so rushed, they take you down to the theatre. Yeah. Um, everything goes through your mind. You and, know, and, and Dave, you know, inevitably somebody listening to us now will will go through this. What's that? It, it, like, it, are you conscious of this tube going in or are you sufficiently under? Oh no! Once once they make the decision to to knock you out, you're you're out completely, and then they put all the ventilator and tubes in. So you don't know nothing. You don't. I was know out. Okay. No, I was out for nine days. I only thought I was asleep for one. <laughs> so um, oh, really, yeah, you you know nothing while while that's going on. So you have um, no memory. Your last memory is going down the corridor, is it? Yeah, going down. Well, going into the room and they're, they're chatting to you and telling you what they're doing. They're very good staff, um, trying to reassure you. Um, they tell you exactly what they're going to do. Um, and then they, they say, right, we're just going to give you an injection, you're going to feel sleepy, uh, and that was it. Right. You know, that was right. the last memory. And you remember coming out of it? I remember waking up in um, ICU, and you're just disorientated. I thought, right, I thought the missus was coming to pick me up. <laughs> um, so I'm looking out the window waiting for her to come pick me up and I'm saying to the nurses where is she and they're, they're trying to say to me no listen you've, uh, you've just come you've just come round so. and did you have the tube still in or had they taken it out of that station no they take that that tube was out I had a few tubes in and I had a feeding tube down the nose um, yeah. I had a catheter in which wasn't very pleasant yeah um, and a few other bits and pieces Get, I did. getting that out's no fun that wasn't fun at all. No, I wasn't looking forward to that day. Yeah. Um, but I had, uh, had some other, that put um, some uh, IV lines into the neck and stuff like that. So I had a few bits and pieces hanging everywhere. Was there a sense when they told you how long you'd been out? Was there a sense of relief? What was the what was the feeling? Yeah, because when when they were knocking me out, you know, you have that thought of, am I going to wake up from this? You know, that's. That's your last thought. Um, so when I was awake, there is that overwhelming relief that, Jeannie, at least I'm awake, I'm here. Do you know what I mean? I'm not on the uh, on the breathing apparatus or anything like that. So I was just on a mask at that point. Um, yeah, just overwhelming when, relief. When they told you how long it had been? I was gobsmacked. <laughs> I thought maybe a couple of days. Um, but, yeah, when I was told it was nine days, I mean, you you know nothing. So it's literally like you just fallen asleep and then just woke up again. So describe seeing your family. And, yeah, actually, sorry, because of the infectiousness of all of this, like, were yeah. you able to see your family at all, no? No, not at all, which was which was the toughest part. It was literally the 20, you know, 30-second conversation on the phone just before I went down. That was the last time um, I actually see them. Um, my phone actually got lost, so even when I was taken up to the ward, I couldn't even contact them. It was just messages from the nurses, um, my missus ringing, obviously, talking to the consultants every day. Uh, she'll pass on a message, but there was no visitation. There was no, you know, the only contact would be with the staff. Right, right. Now, you have you have spoken out about the, the, the staff, and, like, these are... We talk about the front line. 
Yeah. But this was the definition, wasn't it, Dave, of yeah. frontline. Every time these people came near you, they were risking their own lives. Every single time, yeah. And they were bending over backwards for everybody in there. Do you know what I mean? Everyone that was, um, they weren't just like, oh, we're coming when we have to. They, you know, even for just a bottle of water, they were, it, it'd take them 10 minutes to gown up, put all the, the gear on, um, all the bits and pieces, come in, check your meds, give you what you need, look after you, make sure to change your bed sheets, all that sort of stuff. I mean, in the first couple of hours, uh, first couple of days, sorry, after the, um, you know, being on the, in, in the intensive care on the ventilator, um, you're so weak you can't even go to the toilet. So there, there are three or four of them are cut gowning up and lifting you onto the commode and taking you into the toilet and little things like that you don't think of. But every single every single day they're doing going beyond, um, and they're not just standing looking through the glass and saying, "Oh, you're okay." They're coming in, they're giving you your bottle of water. They're they're, they're risking their lives every time they walk in there. Um, so they they need a, a big shout out because I mean, of course, the, the doctors are going to do it and and the, the consultants, but even down to the cleaners, they come in to clean your room while you're in there. You know what I mean? So they're, yeah. they're, they're to be commended. But your room was effectively. <laughs> A biohazard. Yep. Not just you, yeah. but your room. The whole room, yeah. Anything I touched, um, if I coughed, I mean, there's a lot of coughing with this. Um, so if you cough, you sneeze, anything, you know, um, and they're, they're very good with keeping it as clean as possible. Um, but, yeah, if, if, imagine if they weren't gowned up properly or they, you know, touch something, they're putting themselves at risk wherever they are in that room. Yeah. Yeah, we did some... Fundraising for them here on Friday. I'm hoping to reveal the figure of what was raised for our frontline legends before, before midday today. But but but, what are your thoughts, Dave? Having been there with them, your thoughts for the people on the for front. the for the people on the front line. They, you know, they need credit. You know that sometimes you obviously when you're going through it, you're thinking of yourself and your family and all those bits and pieces, but. Those guys on the front line, they get up every morning, they come into work knowing that they could catch this, and there is ones catching it. You know what I mean? There is health professionals, doctors, and stuff that are catching it because they're willing to put themselves on the front line. Um, these guys um, need not just a round of applause when people go past them, but that recognition and support. So, you know, if we can support them as best we can, whether it's donations, whether it's what, even just listening to the, to the rules... Yeah. Um, so they're not inundated with, with cases. These are all little ways that we can help them. Um, and really, like I said on the RTE, a big thank you to all of them for, for risking their life every single day. Not just for me. There was a, a, a good few cases in Cork where they're, they're, they're treating everybody the same. Do you know what I mean? There was no no special treatment, but they're risking their lives every mm. single every single day. And How are you now, Dave? Um, getting there getting there a bit weak um mm. i just went out for my first walk yesterday to get a bit of fresh air mm. um but yeah the, but a lot of what i'm suffering now is just the result of being on the life support yeah so that that affects your lungs a bit um but yeah so i'm over i'm sort of over the the, the covid19 leaves you a bit weak um but yeah getting there we're getting there slowly i'm Doing it every day as best I can, giving out the figures globally of people who have recovered. And I keep saying that it, it takes people quite some time to recover 
from a bad dose of this, which is probably why it keeps that figure so low. Like, when did you first start to feel sick? When did I first start to feel sick? Um, ju- that was just the beginning of March. Beginning of March. And this yeah. is the 14th of April. And you're yeah. just about out the back end of all that you had to go through now. Yeah, just about getting there, yeah. So I'm, I'm still struggling going upstairs, breathing and, and stuff like that. I'm, right. You know. So that's so the it's going to be a long process. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, they told us in when when they released us, they said it could take up to six to eight weeks to get your lungs back properly. The best way they described it is your lungs become like leather. They should be like a sponge, um, but they become like leather. So you have to get them working again, like oil, getting it getting it going again, and that's what it takes the time. Right, right. Yeah, I watched a fascinating documentary actually on the Discovery Channel over the weekend. Um, about the damage that it does and the, the way it attacks the tissues in the lungs. And the biggest, most frightening thing is the damage it can do even to very healthy lungs. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Um, so, but, you know, we're, we're, on the positive, we're, we're, we're getting there. Do you know what I mean? So there's, there is hope even if, you know, we know there's a lot of people out there that are losing loved ones and you're always thinking of these ones. Mm. Do you think you've been but lucky, the, Dave? Very. Yeah, I think, you know, if it wasn't for the hard work that the staff put in, I mean, they were ringing my missus and telling her what they were doing. Um, and it, it becomes a point where um, it's a, I think my missus mentioned it, there's a fight between the virus and you and who, who's going to win. You know, it's one of those. So, yeah, I do feel very, very fortunate. All right. Well, listen, best to you and best to Natanya, your other half. Have you kids, Dave? Yeah, I've got two boys, yeah, 17 and 13. Keep you going. <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> All right, mate, listen, take care and uh, speedy Thanks, recovery PJ. to full health. That's uh, Dave Crabb, 1850 715 He's only 45, uh, and he was healthy and fit and went to the gym a couple of times a week, and it just ravaged him. It just seems you can be really unlucky. They talk about most of us will be fine. We'll be sick for a few days. You'll feel rotten for a few days. You mightn't feel that bad at all. But Dave just went down and down and down and down and down. Nine days in an induced coma on a ventilator. Got sick around the 2nd of March. He's still not fully out the back of it. And he's only 45. This thing is dangerous. And you only know what it's going to do when you have it. That's That for me, lads, personally, is the most frightening element of it. You can read about statistics and you can read about 80% of people being okay and you can read about this cohort and that cohort, but it would seem to be that you only know what it's going to do to you when it's in your body. And that's very scary. Very, very scary. I mentioned the appeal that we did here on Good Friday, supporting the frontline legends, and I can tell you we've had a massive response right through the weekend and it's just been announced from the office downstairs which isn't really downstairs at all they're all at home now but it's just been decided in the boss's office that the full amount raised on Friday for our frontline legends will be announced on the midday news on the midday news we'll announce it today 1850-715-996. On, was it Saturday? The days all roll into one. Have you noticed that? We, we were having a, a catch-up over Skype with some of our friends at home over the weekend, and that came up in conversation. Like, what bloody day is it? I think it was Saturday night, 
uh, it was that we did all of our all of our shine a light effort for everybody. We put lights in the window and put up candles and Christmas lights and some people who were doing online gigs put lights up during the gig and stuff like that. This was a most impressive moment on board the Eliethra. The pipes of Adam, Doug and Adam, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Special moment for you. Yeah, it was indeed, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was a special, mo- special moment for all of us as well on board. Like, so, yeah. um, it's like to show support for all, uh, all our co-workers that are on board the ships and are out there now with the HFD in the front line. So. Yeah. There's a video and it's very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No, it's, uh, it's, it's went, it went viral now, to be honest, after once it was put up. It just went all over the place and it got shared over in Australia as well. Um, and in England, on board uh, the the new site there. Are you sort of the resident piper on the Ethna? Is that it? Well, I'm, I'm the unit piper for my own unit. Like I'm I'm a reservist. I'm not actually um, full time. I have you. Oh, so, um, I'm I'm the unit piper for the Cork Unit Naval Service Reserve. I see. Um, at the moment, for for attached to the Ethna, so um, wherever I go, the pipes go with me. Really. Very proud moment then. Yeah, you know, it was um, it was nice to be asked to do it. Did you think it would go as viral as it has done? We didn't, to be honest. Um, like after we after it went up about ten or fifteen minutes later, it just started going viral, um, which we weren't expecting. We were, as I said, we were just doing it to show support for our other our other uh, co-workers and other members of the defence forces that are out on ship and abroad serving overseas. Yes. So. Um, but no, we didn't expect us to go that viral. How long are you playing, Adam? I'm, I'm playing nearly five years now, so right. I'm playing with a band out in Ballyfian. I got you. Ah, the yeah. pipe band out there, yeah? I am, yeah. That's, I know, that's them, I know them well. I know them well. <laughs> I know them well. Adam, congratulations. And, you know, even like, everyone in the Navy, in the Army, in every element of the Defence Forces, reserves or not. Thank you all for your service uh, and, well and thank you for that lovely moment on Saturday night. That's Adam Duggan uh, from the LE Ethna. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Remember, the news at midday is where you will find out how much you raised on Good Friday. For our frontline legends. It'll be revealed in the midday news here on Corks 96 FM. Remember, we wanted to make a 19 euro one off donation. I can tell you, a lot of people went a lot further than that. We had a great day. They're doing the figures and they're crunching the numbers and they're counting the pennies, and it'll all be revealed at midday on the Corks 96 FM news. 1857-15996, text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696, the email opinion at 96fm.ie. PJ, have you any idea if Live at the Marquee is going to go ahead this year? Caller, I'm pessimistic, but so far we've not been told anything. So far, Aiken Promotions have not said anything about whether or not Live at the Marquee is going to go ahead. That's as it is right now. Same goes for the gigs at Irish Independent Park, the MCD gigs. There's half a dozen of them. We have had nothing with regard to them as yet. Also, nothing 
even though Westlife have cancelled the first gigs of their new tour in the UK, still no word as to what's happening with the Westlife gigs in Parky Cueve in August. But to your direct question on the Live at the Marquee, nothing so far from Aiken Promotions. Do you know why builders and construction are not allowed, but the railway tile warehouse is still open? Is that an essential service? I know not. Caller, I know not. I do think that I'm, I, I'm with the people who say, well, why can't I go to the garden centre and socially distance like I do in Dunn's or Tesco's or Super Value or wherever? You see, I wonder, are buying plants really an essential service? I wonder, is buying paints really an essential service? That's why they're covered by this. How and never. 1850-715-996. Those Debenhams messages keep coming in. I will read them. I promise I will read them. Uh, because they're upsetting. Debenhams, and remember, Debenhams was kind of what happened after Roach's stores. And a lot of the people who used to work in Roach's stores went on to work in Debenhams. And now they've just been gone. Gone. They won't be coming back after the virus uh, pandemic. And some of them have worked in that building there, particularly down from me there on Patrick Street. They've worked there for years. Years. 30 years more in some cases. I'll get to that. I promise. 1850-715-996. But we all gathered around on Friday afternoon. Spent Friday, actually, in Coogan Towers. Spent a great opportunity to clean the attic. We decided, bugger it. There's 15 years worth of junk up there. Let's just clear it out. And we did. We formed a human chain from the attic, down the stair, down the stairs, and out to Muggins here, who was out in the drive on a gorgeous day. It was a stunner on Good Friday, as you know, filling up a skipper bag. You wouldn't believe the junk that came out of the lab. But we all stopped at four o'clock to watch Leo's announcement about lockdown when he told us we're still there until the Tuesday after the May holiday weekend but also what was going to happen with the leaving cert and he announced or rather Minister Joe McHugh the education minister announced that the junior cert was now effectively cancelled and would be replaced with some kind of class-based assessment in September but that the Leaving Cert would still go ahead in late June or early July. They haven't a date yet. There was a date in that some of the Sunday papers were mentioning around the 28th or 29th of June. But there's no date yet. But they said the end of June, start of July. Now, last week I spoke to a number of students about whether or not we should just cancel the whole thing and do estimated grades or predicted grades based on classwork and based on, on your performance over the last number of years and just let it sit for now. But no, they've insisted it's going ahead at the end of June. That prompted a number of responses, one of which I'll read in a wee while. But Kean Kean Pierce, you, you took to video uh, on, on Facebook outlining that this wasn't making you happy and it wasn't making many of your friends happy. It wasn't the right thing to do. Kian, good morning to you. Hello there, good morning. Now tell me, why isn't it why isn't it a good idea to just postpone the leaving cert until such a time as we might be able to do it safely in late June or early July? Well the main reason people are kind of going against the postponement of the leaving cert is that well first off it wasn't the option that was favored by students so most students feel like their voice isn't really taken isn't really being taken into account 
Um, but also the one of the main issues that all students can kind of agree is that it's really going to deeply affect them mentally. Like we've already had to uh, self-teach for a month and now we're going to have to be doing that for two more. And for some students, myself included, that kind of pressure, that kind of weight being put on our shoulders might be a little bit too much to handle. Have your teachers not been in touch with you with Google Classroom and Zoom and all these things? Oh, they have. And honestly, I cannot praise the teachers and the staff at GCC enough. Uh, that's why I go to school at American Community College. They have been amazing. They've been facilitating meetings in Zoom. They've been using Google Classroom. They've been doing everything they can to help us out. But that being said, it's, it, it doesn't compare. Having to study at home does not compare to having a more professional classroom environment. The idea, I think, is, I, I may have said, Kevin says late June, early July. I think it's actually more like late July, uh, early August that they're looking at. The time really doesn't make a difference to you, does it, Kian? No, the timing really doesn't make that much of a difference because it's still going to be postponed. We're still going to have to deal with that uh, stress, that toll on our mental health and on our physical health for that amount of time. And honestly, they're saying... Um, late July, early August, because that's when they think that all the situ- situation will be uh, okay enough that we'll be able to just get on with social distancing, but that's not a guarantee. We're behind other, con- we're behind other European countries and how the virus is spreading. So there's no guarantee that um, by that point that they want to do the exams, they'll be able to go ahead. Mm. And is it a thing, and would it be important, like you might say, okay, well, look, this is the decision they've made. I'll now build myself up. I'll structure my life for a date at the end of July, and then it all goes by the board again. Is that stressful? Yeah, it is extremely stressful. Right now, all we students feel that we can do is voice our concerns, hope that we're heard, but at the same time, we are also having to uh, continue with our studies because there's no guarantee that our efforts will actually be heard or will be taken into account. Yeah. So we're doing what we can. We're trying to make our voices heard. We're making videos. We're uh, doing interviews on the radio like I am right now. Um, we're writing letters to the minister and to the department and to our local TDs. Uh, we're trying to make some noise. There's no guarantee that we're actually that we're actually going to be effective. Yeah. Tell me about the idea of of predicted grades because one of the criticisms of it has been, Kian, that our system is not set up for that. That our our the the way you're examined in fifth year and sixth year at Christmas and Easter and whenever you you do, it's not set up for predicted grading. So it could be very random in some people's case. Uh, yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, the system that we have for education in Ireland isn't built around continuous assessment like it is in other countries. So it is going to be, it would be very difficult to facilitate predicted grades. Now, that being said, it's not like we haven't done it before. The SEC uh, from 2016 onwards, uh, at least, has been doing predicted grades every year for students who have suffered 
tremendous family loss or situation. Yeah, this is the state examinations commission. You mentioned that in your video. Outline that for listeners who wouldn't understand. They changed this, didn't they, a couple of years ago, uh, to give predicted grades in special cases. Yeah, um, the state examinations commission. From there were statistics posted, and I think it was the Irish Times. Uh, yeah, there was in a newspaper. They outlined that the State Examinations Commission, since 2016 up to 2019, has been awarding predicted grades to students who have suffered from circumstances that were outside of their control. Uh, usually, loss of a family member, maybe they felt really ill. It's usually been around 100 to 150 students each year have been getting the predicted grades. So we know that they do have a system in place. It might not be the best system. Okay. And right now, that system... It might only be able to be useful for not that many amount of students. So the main issue isn't that we can't do predictive grades, it's that we have to tailor the system so that it can cater to thousands of students. Mm. Do you want to go on to, to college, Keen? I do. I would love to go on to college. I want to go to UCC. And, and I take it that you've obviously done all your CAO when you fill in your forms and you've asked for your preferences. If the Leaving Cert isn't graded in the same way as it always is, how are you going to be able to rely on getting the points that you want? Like, what is it you want to do? Um, I want to do arts in UCC, okay. which, thankfully, it's only around uh, 450 points. Hey, but you so. still got to get them, dude. So yeah. I, would, you have, would, would you be confident enough that, that, that the point system will be able to be because it would have to be manipulated to allow for predicted grades. The point system would have to be manipulated to allow for predicted grades. Yeah. We don't really... This is a once in the history of the Leaving Cert. It hasn't happened before, so yeah. nobody can say with complete certainty what's going to happen. The people that are pushing for predicted grades, like myself, um, we all... All students, regardless of if we want the exams to go ahead or if we want to rate the grades, we know that our points are going to be affected and that they're not going to be entirely accurate or they're not going to be a true reflection of our ability as students. But that being said, I would argue that for some cases, predicted grades would do less damage than actually having to set the leaving cert. Because actually Dylan is making the point on Twitter here, and I think he's in or around the same age as you, maybe slightly older. He's saying it's better than having no leaving cert at all, in other words, to postpone it. Predicted grades would throw disadvantaged students in the ocean. There needs to be more clarity in the exams, but you can't expect them to just cancel and think it's fine with everybody else. It has to be fair. And like that predicted grades, I mean, you've all sat your mocks and one of the purposes, even when I did the leave insert, and it's not yesterday, one of the purposes of the mocks was that you found out what you were crap at in February and you worked like a dog to get better at it for the rest of the year. If the grade in your mock was taken into account in, say, history or French, it could really skew your predicted grade. It would definitely skew our predicted grades. I, I think that the divisions between among students about whether they prefer predicted grades or um, actually doing the exams, it's not ideological like any other split. Yeah. It's purely from a person-to-person basis. Yeah. I, I've been talking to a lot of students, a lot of my friends, and a lot of us we think that the best option would be that there be a system put in place where the student can choose whether they want to trust that predicted grade or if they want to actually go ahead and sit the exams. It would 
save a lot of students all that mental stress. Some students are in home situations where they just physically cannot study. Others, for mental health reasons, cannot take that sort of pressure. But then again, you also need to realize that there are students with special needs when it comes to exams, to which uh, a predicted grading system would not suit them at all. Yeah. So how are you spending your day now, Kian? Are you studying as normal or did you take a few days off over the Easter? What do you do? Over the Easter, I'm taking a couple, a few days off and I would recommend everybody to do the same because if we're, if we're just studying through Easter, we don't feel like we have that break. Yeah. So we do need that bit of structure. Yeah. Um, when I go back to studying in about a week's time or so, I usually spend around four, five, six upwards, like that that amount of hours doing study. I try to I try to schedule it the same way as in school. Yeah. In the mornings, I'll get my homework from my teachers on Google Classroom. I'll go through that, and then I'll just do revision. Uh, you know, you need to try to get some exercise, get some fresh air if you can, but you need to you need to obey social distancing. And you need to take care of yourself and of the people yeah. around you. Yeah. Is it is it hard? not to have the opportunity to just chill with your mates on a sunny afternoon, which is part of the pleasure of preparing for the leave and start when you do take that break in the sunshine and half a dozen of you gather outside the shop and chew the fat and stuff. You miss that, don't you? Uh, me, not so much uh, personally, because I, I have a small group of friends I don't really about that much but yeah, yeah i can definitely see how a lot of my peers are struggling because that would be their uh their escapism from the leaving cert yeah. so a lot of us are being denied our forms of escapism yeah yeah, yeah. uh look there's nothing we can do about no. that we only have to no. we have to obey social distancing yeah the more we obey social distancing now the less time we will be stuck inside basically there's good, solid logic, young man. Kian, listen, thank you for taking my call. And whatever happens, and whatever way they do it, uh, good luck with it when it comes around. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's Kian Pierce, 1850-715-996. So I've got another message from Ellie, uh, which I'll read in a sec. Uh, Peter on WhatsApp says, Hi, Peter, why don't sit the leaving starts in stadiums like Turner's Cross or Irish Independent Park? You can social distance there or get them done. Right, the open air, Peter. In Ireland, Peter. Come on now, Peter. <laughs> Marion says, for my leave insert mocks, my accountancy mock was graded by my teacher who failed me. My actual leave insert, I got an A2 and I'm now a qualified accountant. My teacher didn't like me and made that clear throughout the year. I was getting grinds. How can you trust teachers to grade people without prejudice? And an anonymous message, would this stage not be a study period anyway? Are they missing that much class? I'll stop you there, because we did establish that nearly two weeks ago when people started to express worry about the leave insert. I had maybe a half a dozen students on in the course of at least one morning, if not two, and they all said the same, and I was shocked to hear it. Our course is nowhere near finished. There's stuff to be done in May. There's stuff to be to be done in May for the first time. I thought, and back when I was going to school, you'd try to have the course finished by Patrick's Day. It doesn't work anymore like that. The number of people who said to me on the programme, we have stuff to do, new stuff. So it's not really just a study period. There's still a lot of hard 
work to be done in in the month of May. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cozy nights in. SolidFuelDepot.ie The Takeover on Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. The takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Court's 96FM. Alicia says, you do realise, don't you, we're not expected to have a vaccine until at the earliest, January 2021. And that's being ambitious, Alicia, but I do take your point. And you're wondering why students are feeling anxious about the prospect of hundreds of them gathering in hot, sweaty exam halls in July. Deirdre says, though, if anything, they'll have the upper hand on previous years as they've all this time to study with no distractions from school. You may be sure the exam will be changed to suit them as well. The whole situation must be taken into consideration. 1850-715-996 for your thoughts on this, particularly from students or the parents of students. How are they? De- how are you dealing with? Because coming into the month of May or the end of April, early May, ramping up towards the, the leaving cert, which was due to begin in the 3rd of June, that's a stressful few weeks for everybody in the house. God knows I remember it myself. For everyone in the house, it's a stressful time. So I've been sitting hearing from, from parents as well as, as to how you're dealing with it. And what do you think, as a parent, what do you think should be done for the youngsters? Lillian Griffin Kelly is a guidance counsellor. We've talked before, Lillian. The, the decision taken by Minister or announced by Minister McHugh on Friday, right or wrong? Good morning. Hi PJ, how are you? Um, right or wrong, I think, it, to be honest, um, I think it's the right decision. I think the students need a shot at the leave and cert. They need to feel like they've, they've set the papers. They've, you know, given it their all. And I do think, you know, there was, like, when you look at predicted grades, it's just we're not set up in that way. There was no way we could uh, possibly really go that route and, and, and call it fair at this point. So I think having a shot to actually fit the papers, do the leave and search, still get their practicals done and things like construction studies, you know, and, and those kind of subjects, I think it's given them as fair a shot as we can possibly give them in the current climate. What about the, the stress implications, as Kean was outlining earlier on? Yeah, absolutely. There is most certainly a, an added element of stress this year. There's no doubt about it. There's been so much uncertainty. I suppose even as a guidance counsellor, as a teacher, the announcement on Friday at least just gave us a deadline. We now have something to work with. We know what we're what we're up against and when when it's likely to happen. But um, I suppose the uncertainty definitely for the last few weeks. Since I suppose we were in school on a Thursday and then we weren't, and that was a big deal for students and teachers alike. We've all had a steep learning curve in terms of setting up our Zoom classrooms and our Edmodos and all the rest and learning in a totally different way. I'm hoping that once we return from Easter break now that uh, having that set up the last 
term can be a little bit easier for students because they'll know how it works and mm. they'll know how to contact teachers and their subject teachers. Um, I, I suppose I want to stress as well, all the teachers in, in the school where I work in Cardinal Community College, all my friends who are teachers, they're more than willing and they're really putting in extra time at the moment to make sure that students feel supported. Yeah. What, what struck me, Lillian, um, the last time we spoke about this prior to Easter was the number of students who came on the phone here and said, well, actually, we have stuff that we need to do for the first time in May. Yeah. The course is very long. Now, whatever about revising stuff that you've done before at home, mm-hmm. you need your teacher by your side for new stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I suppose there will be certain topics that haven't been covered. There will be people who are anxious about that. Um, you know, I suppose if a teacher feels that a topic needs to be covered, they're most certainly going to be trying to do that through their uh, whatever platform they're working through at the moment, you know, once we once we come back after Easter. What I would say to that is, you know, if something hasn't been covered at this stage and you're feeling particularly anxious about it, then really look at what you have covered. Look at perfecting the questions in the topics that you have covered that you feel confident in. You know, that would be advice that we'd give at any, you know, in any given year for the Leave and Search. Always work to your strengths, you know. So, I mean, there's always going to be a topic that you just can't wrap your head around. Mm. You know, my advice generally would be, look, get as much of that covered as you can, but really hone in from here on in on the topics where you feel you understand it, where you feel you can perfect the questions, where you know you can get the timings right, where you know you'll read the question right. And really, you know, every year, the Leave and Search, a lot of the time, will come down to that and you'll see that when people go in for their rechecks or to read their papers mm. that they haven't read the, the question right or they mistimed themselves and mm. you'll automatically look at the student and say I wouldn't bother sending that back because you actually didn't answer the question you were asked. Yeah. So at this point, you know, while I understand there are concerns about topics that haven't been covered, I would still always be given the advice that they should be really rehearsing, really sitting down with the questions, practicing their timings. Unfortunately, they now have a few extra weeks to do that. I know that's not, it's, it's a bit of a, a bittersweet mm. um, um, area to it. But it's, you know, I, I suppose that would be the best advice I could give at this point would be to be focusing on honing and, and perfecting. Yeah. Is there a danger that if we don't do some kind of an exam... Okay, and I don't know, yeah. the reason I'm throwing this out there is I really, if I had to make it, if I was the Minister for Education tomorrow, I wouldn't have a clue what to do, right? And yeah. the answer is better. If we don't do some kind of an exam, right, mm-hmm. and we just award grades based, could you end up with someone having what's effectively a bit of a, a half-assed leave insert on their CV, which they have to carry for the rest of their days? I suppose that is a fear. You know, I suppose, do you want to be the person in 10 years' time who set the leaving search in 2020 and have employers look at that and say, God, that was the year that, you know, everything was so so wrong and is it an, ac- an accurate reflection? I think we're kind of in a lucky position with our point system that, you know, it's adjustable. The points themselves adjust to the cohort of students who sit them every year and that's why points change year on year so like the points will say for arts last year you know the, the cutoff that you see that's the last person who got into the course so you know there's people sitting in arts who might have 625 points and the last person in had 300 so you know I mean we are lucky in that our point system will adjust to 
the adjustments that are here now that we're going to have to do for this year as well. Mm-hmm. well it, it, it will if the universities play ball, which we all know they don't have to. They don't have to, but they still have to fill their spots. So, you know, they still have to look at the applications that come in. You know, the last person who's going to get arts, that's the cut-off point we're going to see in the paper, the same as any other year. All right. Well, so we'll see what happens. Do you still think, and again, there is the uncertainty here that we could find ourselves, we all hope to God that we won't because life as we know it will be decimated. But we could find ourselves in the middle of June saying, lads, we can't do it. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that is still very much up in the air and we see, you know, we're public. That's That's adding to the stress like. It is, it is, and I suppose we just have to now take the deadline that we have and, and hope for the best that this can be done, that by bringing Leaving Sex back, we can social distance them, that, that it can be done by mid-July. Um, I'm hoping for everybody's sake that that's the way this is going to go. Mm. Okay, all right, leave it there for now. Lillian Griffin-Kelly, thanks Lillian, 1850-715-996, both a teacher and a career guidance counsellor in Carrie Devoy. So, sort of, Wearing two hats, if you want. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 1850-715-996. Garrod on WhatsApp says, predicted grades make no sense. Teachers will often take a dislike to a student, as happened with me back in the day. I got a B3 in German... But if it was up to my teacher, I'd never have got a grade like that because of hatred. Same with my maths. I was getting desperate results off his own exams for two years. It was suggested to my mother that I do foundation. Then I got a D1. Not an amazing result, but a hell of a lot better than going down to foundation. John says, I believe there's no willpower there to get leaving certs done. All primary schools are vacant. Teachers are available. Why not space all the students around in primary and secondary schools combined? The teachers can supervise, just get it done, says John. 1850-715-996. The teachers' unions, of course, had something to say about it uh, over the weekend. I sense all is not well with them. That's as much as I'm going to say. Teachers' unions, and I'll put this out, this, out, out there for what it's worth, and I've covered enough of their conferences over the years, and I've followed enough of their disputes over... Teachers' unions can be awkward when they want to be. Shall we just put that out there for what it's worth? I'll talk to Tim Brosnan about it in just a sec. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kilometers.
Strong dried wood. Open late seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. Access all areas on Quarks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's live scene. One of the great all-time songwriters, Albert Hammond's live performances are also legendary. The multi-award winning singer-songwriter returns to Cork Opera House for one night only with tickets on sale now for his show coming up on Sunday, November 8th. Cork Electronic Trio Happy Alone are set to play Cypress Avenue on Thursday, September 17th. The band have already received great recognition both here in the UK after a series of great singles that include Body Bags and Go Slow. Tickets for the show are on sale from cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Quick one from Caller says, Me water is brown. Oh, you mean the one out of the tap? Oh, sorry, sorry. Me water is brown. Anyone else having the same problem in Bishopstown? Or do they know why? Anyone else having that problem? Any brown water flowing out in Bishopstown? 1850-715-996. On Friday, Minister McHugh announced the change in the schedule for the Leaving Cert, which will now be back end of July, maybe into August. There'll be schools coming back for a couple of weeks study time in class and teachers coming in and this that and the other. Over the weekend the two secondary teachers unions both TOI and ASTI uh, began to sort of ruminate about this and they're not happy Tim Brosnan and neither are you. Good morning. Good morning PJ. Well I'm not unhappy at the TUI position on this, to be honest. Which is, just to outline it for Which is basically, look, we'll do whatever's required. Nobody has to do extra work, but look, we will put our back to the wheels and we'll basically work with the system to help the kids through these exams. They've taken, what would I say, a holistic view of the thing and I think a wholesome view of it. Whereas what I heard represented from the ASTI was... Uh, nobody has to work, we won't do this, we won't do that, we want to be sure of this, we want to be sure of that. And the students that they're teaching are under enormous stress at the time. And I was very impressed by uh, Key in there, the young person that you uh, spoke with. Very and bright I think young he, man. He, yeah. yeah, and then Lillian, the guidance teacher from Carrigny-Nafoy. I mean, her attitude is very positive. And I, I just wonder if the sort of negative messages coming from union headquarters and ASTI represents... Uh, the values that the teachers themselves have, or is it some form of negotiation that the union is on? Because any of the teachers that I've met and spoken to in recent times, you know, would love to help out any way they can, even, you know, if it means phone calls after the 1st of June, or, you know, they'll take a break, as the minister told them to take a break, uh, but they should be available to the students if the students need the help. And from the students' point of view, I think this, they're getting two or three weeks extra study for the leaving certain. It'll, it'll stand in the long term. Got sight over the weekend, Tim, of a document, an internal ASTI document responding to the outcome. Yeah. Or responding yeah. to the announcement on on, uh, on Friday. 
and they were saying that all this is going to result to more than two weeks of additional teaching, a minimum of two weeks of additional school-based staff teaching in, in July. Sort of looking for problems where do some exist? Well, problems will exist for people. There will be older teachers, maybe in their 60s, who, who might be themselves concerned about their own health. But I think the way the minister put this and the, the position taken by the TOI is that, look, we'll overcome all this and let's just get on with this and get the exams done and we'll all work together to get it done. And let's not see it from a problem point of view. Yeah. And I think it, it's a pity. To, it, it's an internal document leaked well. You know, it may not be the actual position that the union is going to adopt in public. So I yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt if they're going to do that. Absolutely, know. absolutely. I, look, what I find about this, um, Tim, is, is, is division, really, as to what people think should happen. But Kean's point, and others making the point, I must read the memo that we got from, from, from uh, Ellie, is, hang on a second, it's our exam. We're the ones trying to study. We're the ones trying to do this damn thing. Is anyone taking any notice of what we want? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that, to be fair, I think the minister is trying to do that, and uh, and I wouldn't be uh, a supporter of the minister politically, but I, I do think he's trying to to get a handle on it. And I think very early in the whole debate uh, on the COVID virus, Colin Henry did take time to say, look, this is a very very challenging time for young people because it's part of their nature to want to be out and about and to be gathering in groups and chatting and all this. This is very very important that they in a sense, be cocooned as well, but not in the same way as the elderly. Special care needs to be taken of the young people at this time now as they get through this exam period, which is always very stressful for them, and the aftermath of it. And, you know, this is doable, and I think they do need very positive messages coming from the teacher unions. Now, I think, and I think the message that I'm reading from the TUI is very positive, and I think maybe the ASTI should... Take a leaf out of that. Maybe book clarify its position. Policy. I guess. Clarify maybe, it, yeah. Maybe because with a I know the statement. teachers themselves. The teachers themselves are very concerned about their students. All right. Okay. Leave it there. Tim, Tim Brosnan, thank you very much. 1850-715-996. Let me just read that other statement that came in from Ellie. And it reads uh, this was written in the form of a kind of an open letter to the Taoiseach following on from the announcement on Good Friday. In my opinion, there were three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and the leaving cert. The news today has not only affected my friends and me, but that majority of 57,000 other leaving cert students around the country. The decision I know wasn't taken lightly, but to stand there and tell us to keep studying and learning as normal is alien to me. It is not the same. We are not in a classroom environment. We are not being taught by our teachers. We are not asking questions that get answers in a few seconds. We're waiting a couple of hours for a reply. That's not to blame the teachers. It's just how it is. How you, Mr. Varadkar, can stand there and tell me you're proud to be Irish while you're putting 57,000 young adults through another couple of months of stress. Every other country in the world has cancelled exams in favour of their young adults. The mental state of us at this time is far from relaxed because we're at an advantage because we've more time to study. Nonsense. We're at a complete and utter disadvantage, and you're clear, clearly unable to see it. Leaving our students around the country took a survey at the start of the pandemic, asking what we'd like to happen regarding our leaving cert. 
And the answer to postpone it was only favoured by 10%. Yes, only 10%. We're absolutely gutted, heartbroken and distraught. We're aware this is a pandemic and there is a bigger picture. But this is our future. Apologies for the rant, but our message has to be heard loud and clear. The one thing that jumps out of that and the one thing that came through from my conversation with Kean is, is anybody listening to the young people? Or is this decision being made by middle-aged men in suits or middle-aged women? People who've long since left the system. Are the younger people being consulted at all or being thought about? And when they do surveys and when they express a view and when they write letters, are they being listened to? Are they just being dismissed like little children? Which would be the wrong thing to do. It's their leaving cert. They're the ones who have to sit and do it. I, I hope, I hope that that's been taken into account at the top table, although I doubt it somehow. I doubt it. We're getting calls about a lot of Garda activity around the Rathmore Park area right now. We've had several calls. Uh, people are looking out the window because they can't go out. They're locked down, social distancing, etc., etc. No one seems to know whether it's the Garda just enforcing the social distancing rules or something more serious is afoot. Can anybody shed any light on that? 1850. 715996. As a teacher, here's a message. I think this announcement on Friday was the first big mistake the government has made in this pandemic. Yes, cancel the junior cert, but I can't see why they couldn't have let the leaving cert go ahead in June. Huh? The schools are empty. Why couldn't they put five or six people in each classroom, different entrances, using social distancing to enter and leave? Plenty of teachers would be willing to supervise in those classrooms. This arrangement suits very few. Less academically able students will drop out. Really academic students are already under vast pressure and can't sustain it for another six to eight weeks. Also, it's made the gap away from schools and teachers even longer. Hi, Pete, you just want to say it's all about the leaving certs. No mention of college students in the final year going into the workforce not even acknowledged by the government, which is a fair point. Steve has just tweeted, uh, reminding me that 17 thousand students have now signed a petition in favour of cancelling the exams. Well, that needs to be listened to. It's not all of them. There's 57,000 a minute, but 17,000 is a fair chunk. And you just have to wonder, and it's a question that I would like to ask of the minister, or I wish somebody would ask of the minister, how many actual students or actual student representatives, because there is a National Secondary School Students Union. How many actual student representatives did you sit down and talk to before you made this decision? Again, reminding you, we have that Garda activity reported to us from Rathmore Park, if anybody can shed any light upon it. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text or WhatsApp is 0833-969696. A lot of people cocooning at the moment, not just the over 70s, but many people who have underlying health issues are being told to cocoon and, and to just mind themselves, particularly a lot of people who have uh, diabetes type 2 have been asked to cocoon. Diabetes type 1, I think, is okay. 
with diabetes type 2 for some reason, you have to cocoon. People with lung disease of any kind, people who are recovering from cancer, they're told cocoon. People who are in risk of blood um, strokes or heart attacks, cocoon. Just stay away from us for and stay away from everybody for the foreseeable. Um, and one condition that you are being asked to cocoon with, I believe, is osteoporosis, brittle bone disease, where your bones are frail and brittle and they break easy. Now, that affects a lot of elderly people, but can also affect younger people, can affect children, in fact. Professor Moira O'Brien is an expert in uh, osteoporosis and joins me. Moira, good morning. It's one that would I would not have remembered it where I'm being asked to write down a list of stuff you might cocoon with. How how um, prevalent is it in our society? It's extremely pre- prevalent. Uh, one in uh, two women will develop an osteoporosis fracture in their lifetime, and one in four men will develop a fracture. And most of the people who have it do not realise they have it until they actually break a bone. Yeah. And do you have to treat yourself in an ongoing way for it, or is there a treatment for it? Oh, there's a, there's a, the, there are a lot of things that you can do to prevent it. This is to uh, take your, uh, to, uh, if you have been diagnosed, it's essential that you take your medication, whether it's by tablet or by injection. But to prevent it, you need to t- do weight-bearing exercise. You need to have uh, each, uh, a healthy cal- uh, diet with adequate calories. And it's very important to take your vitamin D but in this, if they've been diagnosed, it is essential that they take their medication because mm. they won't know whether they're getting better or not. Mm. For someone cocooning at the moment, staying in the one place and particularly not able to go out, for example, even in the fine weather for a walk around the block at the moment, how hard is that for someone with osteoporosis? Well, they can keep in contact with family and friends, but they can do their exercise in the house they can run on the spot they can go walk up and down the stairs and there's a a list of of exercises that they can do on the irish osteoporosis website which is www.irishosteoporosis.ie and why would one need to cocoon with osteoporosis because if you uh a lot of people have osteoporosis due to other medical conditions and if they uh, if they fall then they will end up in hospital yeah. and then lose their independence so this is why it's essential that they don't get it give me that website again Moira it's www.irishosteoporosis.ie there's a lot of information about self isolation about maintaining contact and if they are worried about getting their in medication that they contact their GP or the nurse and they will give them information about whether to get their injection or if necessary how to teach them how to self-inject over the phone because if they don't take their medication they will lose more bone and they will fracture. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you for your time this morning. That's Professor Moira O'Brien. Just one of the things that you'd be advised to cocoon with osteoporosis. There must actually be, you know, thousands of people cocooned. I got a message from a dear friend of mine about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, say both himself and his wife 
have been told cocoon. Now they're only both in their fifties. Uh, cocoon. Don't come out, I tell you, come out. That was the message from their jeep. Don't come out, I tell you, kind of thing. So it's everywhere. 1850-715-996. And look, if it's saving health and saving lives, then, you know, long may it last. Can I just mention, actually, somebody who is cocooning uh, is a good pal of mine and a good pal of many people on radio up and down the country, and that's Gareth O'Callaghan. Gareth has spoken many times, of course, about his ongoing battle with a horrible disease called MSA. Uh, and Gareth is cocooning at the moment and staying well away, staying well out of harm's way as we try to put this thing past us. So I just wanted to wish him well because uh, on this day in 1979, a young boy broadcaster called Gareth O'Callaghan, or at the time I think it was Tony Gareth, he called himself, made his first forays onto the airwaves. So thoughts with him and, of course, his beloved Paula and the family today. Stay safe, my friend. Stay safe. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, remember, if you are one of the many, many people who donated to our one day for our Frontline Legends on Good Friday, we asked you to do something really good by making a once-off 19-euro donation. I can tell you, lots of people donated an awful lot more than that and did an awful lot more. And even within the limitations of social distancing, people were able to do great things for us on Friday, and they did. And that figure will be revealed on the midday news here on Cork's 96 FM. I know people are waiting with bated breath to see how much was raised. And the numbers are being crunched and the I's are being dotted and the T's are being crossed. And that announcement will be made on the news at midday. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Peter was back on. Peter was the fellow who suggested that on text that we put leaving certs into maybe stadiums like Turner's Cross and Irish Independent Park and Parky Cueve. And I said, well, hang on a second now. In the middle of June, in the op- hold the exams in the open air in Ireland, in the unreliable weather that we have. And Peter came back saying, no, you dismissed me very there. You do it in covered areas. But where, like, where where would you do it in Turner's Cross, say, Peter? Where would you do it in Irish Independent Park? There's not that many covered areas unless you're going to put them up in the town. Sorry, just make a bit more sense of it to me and maybe we'll discuss it. But thank you for the idea. And it didn't mean to be dismissive. I was just a little bit incredulous of how it might, how it might be achieved. 1850-715-996. Now, Eamon Holmes landed himself in a pile of doo-doo yesterday uh, by appearing to... He wasn't, but appearing to give credence to this nonsense linking 5G to the coronavirus. And that's just one of many conspiracy theories and lots of fake news that's been flying around. You'll remember in the very early days of this, there was the WhatsApp purporting to come from a member of the Defence Forces that went around saying the country would be going into lockdown today's clock the following morning. So we all know it was nonsense. But at the time, it did catch some people and it flew around WhatsApp at a rate of knots. And all that stuff has been flying around WhatsApp at such speed that WhatsApp themselves have now intervened to put a limit on the number of times you can forward something. Even a joke that you might want to send to your mates, you can only forward that now one by one. 
and they did it as a direct result of the kind of fake stuff going around about uh, coronavirus. Cork, or yeah, uh, Cork Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher uh, has been commenting on it as well. Billy, it is very hard sometimes to sift out the fact from the fiction, isn't it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, it certainly is. I mean, there's no doubt um, in times of a pandemic like this, you know, I mean, people's awareness and agitation is, is heightened quite dramatically. So, I mean, uh, when you start circulating false rumours or just something that might start off as a prank, like the Defence Force issue there, which really did catch a lot of people. And um, I can remember people saying to me, like, that the army were taking over the country, that was going to be a complete lockdown, that, we, you know, we were going to have to suspend all our freedoms and everything else. And it just undermines, uh, you know, our collective ability to deal with issues when you have panic sort of being instilled in people by rumour, by innuendo, and by fake news, effectively. You made the point, Billy, um, reading from the journal.ie, you, you made the point that an awful lot of stuff has a grain of truth in it. And in actual fact, what happened here, because we've been very careful to fact-check to whatever extent we can, there was a genuine uh, note went around to members of the Defence Forces to be prepared, kind of be all of, have your kit bag ready in case you would be deployed. That was genuine. Yes. And, I mean, and, then, it, and then it became, oh, we're going into lockdown at 8 a.m., Yes, and I mean, it, it wouldn't be unusual for the, the army to be on uh, standby to help the civil authorities in, in, you know, in the areas of flooding yeah. and snow uh, challenges. Uh, so that wouldn't be unusual. But what happened was, it, it sort of was because people had a heightened sense of anticipation and concern and anxiousness that this sort of took on new legs. And all of a sudden, people, I mean, people said to me themselves that the army were taking over the country, that, you know, uh, they were going to be running it for the foreseeable future because of the coronavirus. So it just does undermine, you know, the authorities that are trying to deal with this Mm. and trying to get factual news out. And we just have to, I suppose, be discerning in where we take our news from. And that's sitting tattle on social media is part and parcel of modern day life now. But at the same time, um, you know, taking advice from uh, websites, that are not accredited, uh, taking uh, from WhatsApp group, mm. does undermine people's ability to discern what is fact and what is fiction. Billy, as a as the legislator at European level, uh, do you feel that you and your other colleagues have a role to play here? Well, look, nobody just wants to kill free speech, and everybody's entitled to you know express views as long as they don't uh, offend people and discriminate against people based on on, on religion, sexual orientation, you know, race, uh, uh, and those areas. But beyond that, I just think we need to just, I suppose, educate people to take their information that they must act on um, from reliable sources. And and I suppose as we become more, you see, one man's reliable source is another man's propaganda. Well, yes, and that, that is the difficulty. But I just think that, you know, in, in times like this, we should take it from our government sources, from the World Health Organization, from the HSE, uh, from radio stations, from reliable newspapers, from those particular areas. By and large, PJ, look, I mean, the, a good journalist, the first thing they always do is verify story. Uh, he'd always verify before he would publish something that could have uh, implications. Uh, and that's just what we need to do to ensure that the public are more discerning in terms of what they see as news and what they just see as conversation and I yeah. think that's the big and of course and look, there's, there's a place situation. for both there's a place for conversation there's a place for opinion I have this discussion all the time with people there is a place for opinion and a place for comment which informs thought but that's a separate platform to actual news and actual fact 
Yes, and what's happening is a lot of the time it has been portrayed as news. Uh, so, for example, you know, WhatsApp groups, social media, that's conversation, that's all fine. But sometimes it been feeds into becoming mainstream news, and that's a fundamentally different thing altogether. News is based on fact, it's based on uh, verification, and it's based, uh, it's based on you know, a certain integrity. Uh, and uh, conversations aren't. So, I mean, we just have to be discerning of that. And beyond that, we saw more recently, you know, cases of uh, high-profile people tweeting things that simply were not factual, causing great anxiousness and concern among... Uh, yeah, I know the one you're referring to. I'm not going to give it the oxygen yes, by, by, by re-quoting it, but it was a very prominent individual. Yes. But these are issues that almost feed into becoming news because they are prominent people, because they are people of a certain standing, that it's seen as fact. And I think that's that's the issue of major concern. Yeah. And then on top of that, PJ, of course, we have the broader issues. In like, you know, you have countries that are spreading fake news and rumours uh, to try and undermine other countries as well. And this pandemic, at, uh, incredibly uh, effectively, particularly in, in Italy, for example, where um, groups that are uh, very anti-European are using this now very, very much to stoke up this, this sentiment that Europe is doing nothing, that it's turning its back on its citizens. Uh, so you have a lot of sources, both individuals that's doing it for pranks, but also it being organised and orchestrated at very uh, high levels in various countries to try to uh, instill panic in, in public, instill fear, mm-hmm. and just to create um, difficulties for governments to try and get through this very challenging time. But here's the kind of stuff that, that, that's out there, Billy, and, and I see it and I block it and I dismiss it a hundred times a day. You can't win hearts and minds over with stuff like this. Lads, can ye all, and this is directed at us now, can ye all stop the propaganda? It's only all about Bill Gates and his vactory, vaccines. He should be in jail. Like That's what's out, that's what you're dealing with, Billy. I mean, even before the pandemic, we had very strong lobby groups uh, that were virulently anti-vaccine. Um, uh, you know, they were propagating lots of stories, uh, planting lots of stories in the media, uh, almost on without fact. Um, very often stoke up very strong emotions. Uh, and we just need to understand that, you know, sometimes these are being done for nefarious reasons or just because people may have an agenda themselves. But it, it does undermine the capacity of uh, governments and of agencies like the health services and others to try and get proper information out to people. Okay. But the vaccine case was, a, was, a, was very much a case in point. I can remember it being debated around the whole issue around um, uh, cervical cancer and uh, the HPV vaccine, uh, vaccine, where people were encouraging uh, young girls not to take it up yes. because they had heard a story from somebody else from somebody else from somebody else. And we had to go to great efforts. Well, not me on my own, on the health committee I was sat on at the time, to try and get the public to re-engage with this very, very positive uh, vaccination programme. And it's just, that came about primarily from people just, you know, constantly undermining the programme itself uh, and that it was having uh, adverse effects on on people. On the other side, really, of this discussion is is that we know that in, in the past authorities have been less than forthcoming with the truth shall we say when it came to something like cervical check we we had to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and Gabriel Scally had to dig and dig and dig and people like Stephen Teep had to go chasing information to try and get to the bottom of the and we still haven't got the full truth about cervical check so in terms of being believable and being credible our authorities copybook is blotted which that adds to 
the, the fake stuff on social media. It, it does, but I mean, the, the one thing about authorities uh, sometimes being uh, economic with the truth is they can be held to account. So, for example, in the Dáil, um, many people would have raised the issue of the cycle check scandal. Uh, you had uh, Vicky Phelan and many other people, Stephen Peep and others, who were constantly advocating and, and questioning and holding people to account. And at least the politicians were able to hold the system to account at some yeah. stage. Yeah. Uh, whereas with fake news, you don't have an entity to hold to account. And I suppose that is the, the fundamental difference. And I, yeah, I accept the politicians and the system has to be more open and upfront. And I'm quite sure, you know, with the pandemic here and the coronavirus, you know, when we look back, there will have been mistakes made, um, you know, and we should learn from them. And if there are mistakes that were made that, you know, should have been spotted earlier on, well, we should be more forthcoming. And I think that's the one area, right, that governments and agencies of the state sometimes, you know, are reluctant to admit a mistake, hands up and, and accept it. And uh, the spital, uh mm. screening uh, scandal was one very, very serious case in point where, you know, it was incompetence, it was mistakes, um, and it, it did have profound mm. implications and impacts on people and on the confidence of the system itself. Like, here's a very commonly held belief, Billy, and, and, and I take, we take calls upon it outside of the ones that get to air from time to time, but many other calls come in. I don't think we're getting the full information, says this uh, caller to the opinion line. We're getting sketchy stories about tests. We're getting questionable numbers for death and diagnosis. All the governments do this. I'm not just picking on Leah Bradker or Simon Harris. If politicians wanted less humour, or less rumour rather, they should, as a group, stop spinning the information, which is a fair comment. Well, you know, there's a... Yeah, I mean, sometimes governments will, in trying to portray or get a message across, will overspin it um, to, to their advantage, uh, and that happens all, uh, all the time. But I think in this particular case, look, it is a pandemic. It, it, people are dying because of this uh, virus in our midst. Um, it is much more serious than normal everyday uh, politics. And, um, you know, I would be very, very disappointed if I thought that there was a genuine effort by uh people in government or by agencies to actually use this, uh, you know, for anything other than to try and get the information out there, to try and convince the public that the measures that are in place are the right ones. It does seem to be working uh, in the sense that we don't have the spiral of deaths that other countries have on, on a pro-rata population basis. So ho- hopefully we can get through this. And I think that is down to the maturity of the, the public themselves who have listened to the advice, heeded the advice and taken that on board. And I think, you know, when you listen to the Garda Shikana comments, they said very often most people are very much in compliance and understanding with mm. uh, the, the clampdown at the moment on people's uh, ability to move around the country. So, but you're right, we can't have a situation where people would use this uh, for, for political advantage. Uh, this is not normal cut and trust politics. Uh, this is not normal uh, tone throwing of the day. And, and, and to be fair, Billy, to be, to be fair, together. both your own party and, and Fine Gael and others, uh, too numerous to mention, have come together to try to cooperate on, a, on an overall picture of how we get through this. Listen, I'll leave it there for now. Billy Kelleher, Fianna Fáil MEP for Ireland. So thanks, Billy, for that. Look, You'll get loads of information out there. Loads of it. But stay with traditional, professional media. Uh, May we be so forward as to rank ourselves among that because we do double and triple check stuff. If something gets through here that's not through, it's it's an accident. It it really is. Um, And it's great then when an authority like Dublin Airport, for example, thank you, Kevin, comes out... Uh, to clarify nonsense that's going around. Like, we heard stories, if you were to believe it, over the weekend of 
tens of thousand people coming through Dublin Airport, that it was business as usual in Dublin Airport. And indeed, up in Cork Airport, although poor old Cork Airport now is like a bit of an abandoned shed at this stage. God bless it. I hope it'll be up and running and flying again very, very soon. But Dublin Airport had come out this morning with a tweet. Um, like, for example, a certain person who, who shall remain nameless because she's not worth mentioning her name published a so-called list of flights so-called list of flights uh, from Dublin Airport. Dublin came out and said, we'd like to correct some errors in this tweet. They stopped short of calling it BS, which was kind of them. Fact one, we had fewer than 900 people arriving and departing yesterday. On a normal Easter Monday, we'd have more than 100,000 people. That's not business as usual. The Terminal 1 baggage hall, arrivals area and the exit road Exit routes all look very unusual, and indeed they do. There's pictures of Dublin Airport yesterday. It is empty. It is deserted. There are one or two people that you can see going through. And there are a very, very limited schedule of flights. We're open, they say, because Irish government policy is we're open as an essential business to allow for the operation of cargo, like medical supplies, and the repatriation of Irish citizens. And many passenger flights actually transport cargo in their holds. Ireland's travel and health policy in relation to COVID-19 are decided by the state based on expert health advice from the usual sources. HSE isn't screening as it says entry screening doesn't work and isn't recommended by the World Health Organization or by the disease control experts. HSE staff based at the airport have been informed have informed all arriving passengers for several weeks that they need to restrict their movements for 14 days. And there's a big, big, long thread of just knocking up, knocking the nonsense, knocking the nonsense that is out there. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie. Good morning, lads. As a doctor working in CUH, I can't thank you enough for your support. Things are manageable for now, but we're all frightened about what potentially is coming our way. Gestures of support like yours are so heartening. We're doing nothing. No. You're, do, you're doing all the work. Yeah. Listen, well done, Ashley. Thanks so much. That's very, yeah, kind, very kind of you. Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's. Gold, Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. I've spoken many times on The Opinion Line with uh, Tom Clonan uh, about his advocacy for disabilities. Indeed, his own son, Owen, I think is the lad's name. Has, has a disability and Tom has described very articulately in the past what it's like living with that and what it's like fighting and battling for his son's well-being as any parent can identify that has a, a child with a disability or a relation with a disability. That's It's a battle from one end of the day, one end of the week to the other. But Tom has raised a particular concern in terms of COVID-19 and treatment for people 
with disabilities because we know how awful it has got in Italy and Spain and France and how people have had to be prioritised in a very scary way using almost battlefield tactics. There were rumours of those decisions being made in this country already, but not many of them. But it became a big thing in Italy where doctors just looked at two or three different people and said, take them, leave them. Heartbreaking decision for any doctor. Tom, it concerns you, and you wrote about it. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you, uh, and a belated happy Easter to everybody. Hope everybody's safe and well. Um, yeah, th- this is a, a particular concern because, uh, to, to put this in context for your listeners, uh, we, there's six of us in the family, four teenagers, uh, and the parents. Owen is 18. He's a neuromuscular disease. He's a wheelchair user. And he's at, at present his lung function would be I would be less than fifty percent that of most uh, eighteen year olds in the population. So he's a very vulnerable uh, citizen. Plus, uh, one of our family members is a is a medical doctor, and she goes into uh, one of the biggest hospitals in Dublin every day, where she deals with patients who who have COVID nineteen. Some of them may have it. So we're kind of calculating that risk every day you know the risk of infection to own at home and well like every family and how possible tom is it for you to cocoon him because i I assume he needs to be cocooned yeah it's it's tough for him um he's yeah say he's 18 uh, he's he's in fifth year in secondary school he's worried like everybody else about continuous assessment and his assignments and his history portfolio and all these kinds of things um and it is very hard to keep him in uh but it, it's just one of those things. Now, so we're, we're, I suppose we're like everybody else, you know, we're trying to do our bit as a family. Like we have, a, as I said, a frontline medical professional there uh, working every day. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the government published a number of documents, uh, an ethical framework for dealing with COVID-19. And, and this is available online and anybody can look at it. I've read it, and, yeah. And there's a couple of headings in it. Uh, you refer to it there yourself. It, it says dealing with scarcity of resources during a surge in the COVID pandemic. And essentially, what the document says is that if we reach a point, which has been predicted by Antishuk uh, this week in a recorded message he gave to the nation over Twitter, um, if we have a surge and if our ICU facilities are overwhelmed, by uh, critical cases, then you have to decide who gets treatment and who doesn't. And they have a, a system, a recommended system for uh, triaging or deciding who lives and who dies. And it is based on a thing called an index of frailty. Now, my difficulty with this document is that um, in Britain and even in the United States, the Department of Health uh, in, in the US and Washington has said that any hospital that is receiving federal funds must not discriminate against a person on the basis of a disability, like autism, cerebral palsy, or or Down syndrome, that that must not be factored into the decision whether or not to to give care. It's the same in the UK. The National Health Service, the, the National Director of Medicine in the UK the Director of Nursing for the NHS, they, they have all explicitly set out that you cannot discriminate or ration treatment uh, using a person's disability as, as an index of frailty. Mm. Ireland is very, very different. In the document, it says, the, it says that this decision can be made irrespective of age. In other words, 
a young person like my son could be considered frail, um, irrespective of his age, because of his underlying disability. So what we've asked the Minister, Simon Harris, and Antishik is to just put in a one-line sentence into the document, consistent with the UK, consistent with the US, and also, PJ, consistent with what the World Health Organization recommends, Mm -hmm. and the UN Special Rapporteur for Persons with Disabilities uh, last week said that every state should reassure its persons with disabilities that they will not uh, be denied access to, excuse me, intensive care on the basis of their disability. Now, I wrote the article last week. Uh, It was published in the journal. It's very clear. It's very explicit. Since then, I've had literally hundreds of thousands of social media interactions which address Simon Harris and Leo Varadkar directly on this issue. We've had no response from them. Zero. Nil. And and this is typical of our experiences uh, as carers and, you know, families with persons with disabilities. The government do not respond um, to these concerns. Uh, Simon Harris was very quick to respond to a plea about the Easter Bunny, um, but has our, our pleas for people like my son have, have fallen on deaf ears. So I'm just asking him and all your listeners, Just I'm on at Tom Clonan on Twitter, would they please just reinforce the cry on, on this issue? And just incidentally, um, a very interesting statistic has emerged overnight. Mm. Um, we know that there are hundreds of clusters of COVID-19 infections in nursing homes. A frightening number. is, is yeah. The best way to and, yeah, and in fairness to the government and to the media, they have highlighted the, the particular plight of the elderly as vulnerable citizens, and they're to be applauded for that. But it has also emerged now that there are clusters in residential settings for persons with disabilities. Yes. Uh, 33 infections, I believe. Now, compare that to the numbers in our prisons. I think in our prisons, I could stand corrected on this, I think there have been four cases. Mm. Four, zero, four. In direct provision centres, I think it's three or four. And there is quite rightly a hue and cry over um, the rights of prisoners, uh, in our in our prisons and uh, people ha- caught up in our awful direct provision centres, but there is total silence on the conditions yeah. for people with disabilities. And yeah. I, <clears throat> so I think that you know these it's like a perfect storm. Ireland, it was uh, a report that was published in the Irish Times in January. Ireland is now officially the worst country in Europe, and I'm ashamed to say that is the worst country in Europe to have a disability. That was in a report published in the Irish Times in January. With the arrival of COVID-19, we're now probably the only country in the European Union that does not explicitly state or guarantee the right to life of persons with disabilities. Now, Let's put this into the form of a, a simple word picture for people. And I was thinking as you were talking, Tom, and maybe you'll agree with me here. So let us imagine that there is there, there are three ventilators available in a hospital and there are five people outside the door who need them yeah your son Owen because of his inherent difficulties could find himself left aside yes and and the tragedy is that as an 18 year old young man I mean he loves life he's interested in science fiction, he doesn't see himself as a disabled person. No, he That's, doesn't. No, no. Um, he, he would love to live. I mean, we're terrified of him uh, becoming infected. But the thing about it is, the the the, the measurement of frailty uh, is one of the measurement sets. It's a thing called NICE. <clears throat> it's, 
it's the National Institute for um, Care Excellence in the UK. <clears throat> and they have a series of questions. Can you walk up the stairs? Can you feed yourself? Do you need assistance uh, to get dressed? And there are questions that are asked of elderly people to just see what their quality of life is. Now, those questions could be asked of somebody like Owen, and immediately he would score very lowly, and his index of frailty would be much higher, mm. let's say, than <clears throat> conceivably a man or a woman in their 40s or 50s. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, now, I, I want to be very clear. Uh, doctors and nurses, I would trust them to, to see somebody like Owen in, in the round and and to make an assessment that would be fair and non-discriminatory, but that's not good enough. We have to have it explicitly stated in, in the in in the documents, yeah. as is the case in the UK, even in the United States. In Trump's America, the Department of Health issued an amazing statement in Washington on the 28th of March about this, and they said America is a very powerful country militarily and economically. But what makes America beautiful, and I'm quoting now directly from the U.S. Department of Health under Trump, said what makes America beautiful is that our policies are animated by our human and civil rights laws. And for that reason, no federally funded hospital or medical facility may deny uh, access to treatment on the basis of and what they say is uh, stereotyped views about what constitutes a disability, subjective views about the worth or the value of a disabled person's life. And they have that written down. It's in black and white. We need to have that here. Okay. And I've been asking Simon Harris over and over again in the, over the last week, please just insert this one line into your uh, into the document. It, that's all it would take. I mean, I could edit a, a Word document in less than five minutes. And, and that's all they have to do. But we're getting no response, no reply. Um, he attends press conferences every day. Um, and he, he is uh, very active in the media. I, I believe he's a good person, but for some reason, um, there's just no response or no traction response to this. No, and okay. and as a parent, as a carer, as somebody who who bangs the drum on this issue over and over again, um, I just find it very upsetting. It's uh, an unnecessary stress, and particularly as a family that does the heavy lifting. You know, as a carer, I, I look after all of Owen's needs. Uh, as I said, we have a family member who's out there in the front line putting her herself out there every day, and we as a family have to, you know, weigh up the, the risk coming home. So we're just asking, please, you know, for the hundreds of thousands of people out there who have a disability of one form or another, just put the clarification Garen, in, in, in the document. to them that it won't be used against yeah, them. And, 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 you know, I'm also, I also feel very strongly that as a person, you know, with a family with somebody with disabilities, it shouldn't be left to the goodwill of others. It's not a favour we're doing people with disabilities. It's a fundamental human right. And if this was an issue that impacted on the LGBTI community, or let's say people who are Muslims or who are black or ethnically different, there would quite rightly be a massive national campaign to ensure that there was no discrimination on that basis. But when it comes to disability, it's the final frontier of human rights in this country. There is a deep silence in Ireland about disability. It's a kind of a sorry for your troubles. Um, and I, actually, when I wrote the article in the journal last week, and my great colleagues in the journal who are under pressure, like everyone is, PJ, in media, the comments of some people, the things that some people say about people with disabilities, um, I mean, it's just 
um, it's, it's heartbreaking really, to think well, that there are people with, out there. With, with respect to the great people who operate the journal, uh, as some, some, sometimes the comment page can be a cesspit at, at the best of times. So uh, the, the, I, I, I shudder to think what, what might have been put in under your article. David, however, has called the show to say, with all due respect to that man, doctors, not governments, make these decisions. The reality is you have to save those with the best chance of survival, but let's hope it doesn't come to that. That's from David. Yeah, well, normally, and again, like we have a doctor in the house, um, and I know that doctors make decisions every day about, you know, life and death. They, what they call heroic measures, they, you know, when people are so ill, uh, they make decisions on a daily basis not to engage in heroic measures, like to put somebody on a ventilator or to give them some kind of an intervention that would prolong life unnecessarily. So <clears throat> I'm familiar with those ethical dilemmas. And they're carried out, those decisions are made in the best interests of the patient. But unfortunately, in the COVID-19 pandemic, because Ireland and the European Centre for Disease Control stated that Ireland has the lowest ratio of ICU beds per head of population in the European Union. We also have the lowest ratio of medical specialists and hospital consultants per head of population because of the <clears throat> recruitment and rec retention uh, uh, challenges that have been brought about since James Riley unilaterally cut the wages of doctors back in 2011. Decisions that were continued by Leo Varadkar as Minister for Health and now by uh, Simon Harris. <clears throat> So the decision now not to give somebody treatment is not based on the best interests of the patient, but would be based on a lack of resources. And that's an entirely different matter. So I'm saying in a, in a situation where the decision is not being made in the best interests of the patient, but on the basis of there being a lack of resources, then disability should not be factored into that decision as, as, a, as a reason for mitigating treatment. And that's something that's recognised internationally. As I said, even in Trump's America, they recognise that. So if there are people in Ireland uh, who believe that um, disabled people have a less of a right to life, then, you know, well, that says it all really in terms of uh, all of all of the comments that I've been making about the status of people with disabilities and how they're treated in this country and how they're perceived. Okay. Uh, it's, it's very, it's, it's deeply upsetting. Well, PJ, I want to thank you and everybody in the team there because you, you do give me an opportunity to talk about this. Um, it is a struggle to get uh, airtime on these issues. And uh, I re we really, really appreciate that as a family. Always welcome on the opinion line. Thank you very much. That's uh, Tom Clonan. And my best to Owen and to all of the Clonan family. Thanks, Tom. 1850-715-996. It's very stark, but they need to put that in there. They've done it in Trump's America. They've done it in the NHS. Nobody will be discriminated in or nobody will have their need of a ventilator uh, lessened or their deserving... Because they're dis because of a disability, it's it's it's, and yes, David makes the point. The doctors make these decisions, not governments. But governments can direct the decisions that doctors make in government-funded hospitals, which is what they've done in the states. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Antoinette says, "Too right." As a mom of a child with disability, the doctors would have a hell of a fight on their hands if they were to refuse her treatment. Mag says, great to hear Tom Clonan on highlighting the vitally important issues surrounding people with disabilities during this. Simon Harris and Paul Reed, it's Paul Reed, the HSE gaffer, need to address this and address it fast. Dylan says, it's getting very sad to hear about the stories of Ireland and people with disabilities being set aside if they contract COVID-19. There need to be more rights because they are people too. But John says, 
Is this the same minister that helped to bring down the last government? Why would we expect him to do something about this? He's the worst health minister we've ever had. 1850-715-996. Just before I go to a break, I want to read this. I got an email last week from someone who would prefer to uh, not have their name mentioned, but shall I say, I uh, can verify their identity if I had to. Uh, dear PJ, and this is not to do with COVID-19, it's just to do with the general decency that is out there in society. And we always think that it's gone. And we always think that young people in particular are short on decency. And then we get stories like this, and many stories in fairness like this, to completely scratch that one from memory. Hi PJ, the most horrific fall on the footpath of Patrick's Bridge at 20 to 6 on Monday the 27th of January. I'm still in recovery. In fact, I may never fully recover. On that evening, in semi-darkness, two young couples, immediately in front of me, came to my assistance and it took all four of them to get me back on my feet. They were considerate, kind and sympathetic. A few minutes later, a young lady who may well have been a nurse came to assist me crossing the road towards Bridge Street. She too was concerned and really in my corner. PJ, I'd love if you could simply thank these people, whom I don't know, who came to the aid of an elderly man who'd crashed to the ground. They came to my aid with empathy and concern. I'd like to remain anonymous, but please thank them for me. Keep up the great work. 1857 this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696 on Cork's 96FM. There's a piece going around. Um, we picked up on it over the weekend. Um, and it's to do with all of the nursing homes. Um, situation. I said this, I started to think it about a week and a half ago and I started to voice it last week. I'm now absolutely convinced of it. That when this is over, and as I keep saying, over it shall be, when we know not, but it will. One of the big questions that will have to be asked and answered is how the hell did it get out of control in our nursing homes? What happened over half of the people who have died. And that number stands now at 365. God rest each and every one of them. And uh, sympathy to their families. Over half of them have been in nursing homes around the country. Um, and this big long piece, we were hoping to talk to the person who wrote it. And I will if I can. But this is what it what it amounts to. I got a call from the owner of a nursing home this week, desperate and crying. All of her permanent staff were sick or in isolation and the agencies had no nurses. I arrived on Friday, supposed to be the second nurse with five healthcare assistants to support 24 residents. 
Instead, what transpired was I was the only nurse with three assistants as the other agency staff failed to show. I'd never been in this home before, so I didn't know the residents or how to navigate my way around. Handover, that's when someone comes on shift, it's a briefing. Handover included the following. Two confirmed COVID patients. Two palliative patients with suspected COVID but not currently meeting the standard for testing. Three diabetic patients. 17 other residents who may or may not have had COVID. One oxygen cylinder. No fluids. In the space of 48 hours, I was told that my sick residents were not going to be accepted to the hospital. I had to establish the resuscitation status on a number of residents I was worried about. I had to call the time of death on two residents in 20 minutes. I had to call a GP and inform them two of their patients had sadly passed away and a further two were likely to die in the next 24 hours. I had to call a coroner and ask for two residents to be taken from their home at the same time. I had to break the news to two different families that their loved ones had lost their fight and they couldn't come to say goodbye. Most of the other residents in the home are pleasantly confused. As a very kind, actually, way of putting it. As a result, they don't grasp what's happening. We can't lock them in their rooms and we don't have enough staff to do do that anyway. It means they're all at risk and will all likely get infected. There's no words to describe the situation in the homes. It's only a matter of time before all the residents get it and then it'll be survival of the fittest due to limited supplies, staffing and equipment. Keep the residents in homes in your prayers over the next few weeks and keep those candles lighting. This battle is only beginning. That's from an agency nurse who was called in to assist in a nursing home. Hopefully we get to talk to her at some point in the week. But that's what's happening. And this is going to be the big story at the end of it. How was it allowed to happen? The Debenham stuff, I'll get to tomorrow. Okay, we're going to collate those messages and I'll get to them tomorrow because lots of people contacting the show about their anger and upset. Now that the dust has settled on the announcement that came Thursday, people are feeling very aggrieved at how they've been treated by Debenhams. And I'm going to collate those messages and hopefully talk to some people on the show tomorrow. Just last bit of business today. The Cork Folklore Project wants to chronicle life during the pandemic. Now, the last real big pandemic that we had in this country was, that uh, affected us, was the Spanish flu. That was the one, it's a hundred and odd years ago now. 100-something years ago, 1918, 1901, 102 years ago. And that's been chronicled in folklore through stories and memories of the time. And the Cork Folklore Project, I think, wants to try and do something similar as to how the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, is affecting us. Tina O'Carroll is there. Tina, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? There's any number of stories and documents online that you can read the story of the of the Spanish flu and horrific that they are, but you want to try and gather stories of our time for future generations now. Absolutely. I mean, we usually carry out audio interviews about everyday life, usually in Cork City. And of course, we had to stop interviewing at the beginning of March. But we're very aware that we're living through extraordinary times. Life is changing fast and on every front. There's a lot we'll remember, but there's a lot that'll go unrecorded and be forgotten. And social media won't last. 
official sources and newspapers only focus on certain aspects. So how will people's everyday experience be put on the record? So we decided to create a platform where that could be done. We're making a questionnaire available in phases on our website, corkfolklore.org. The first phase finishes on the night of Monday the 20th of April and the next will be the, the 4th of May. It'll roll on. People can make an entry as many times as they like. And we want to capture a picture of what everyday is life, everyday life is like for the people of Ireland right now. Yeah. So that in the next hundred years, some will, somebody will read about us all having to stay home for Easter. It's a small thing, but someone will like to read about it in a hundred years. Absolutely. And even in the feedback we're getting already, people kind of get that idea. One person said, I think it's a good uh, idea to research and record this stuff. We'll all be glad in years to come to read what it was like to live through this. But actually, in the feedback, we've also found that a lot of people um, talk about feeling an immediate benefit from talking about the different things that we're asking about. Um, We're asking about stages as people experience them, their routines, how different groups are affected, how we talk about this. And some people actually were said to us um, after filling it out that it was a great experience, so important to put some shape on our experiences. Okay. Uh, another person said it made me reflect on this strange time. So that's a kind of a, um, an effect that I wasn't expecting. Okay. We were if, thinking about the future, but it's it's uh, having an effect in the present as well. If someone would like to see your questionnaire and take part in it, corkforklore.org, is that where they go? That's it. And then there's a tab, which is the COVID-19 project. And they click in there and they can click into our survey. And indeed, we're looking for people to tell us about their own experiences. But there's a whole lot of people who mightn't have access to the survey. Um, Maybe older people, uh, children, and also people who are working hard right now and don't have the time. And we'd really appreciate it if people could collect for us and become our collectors and report on the experiences of others and the comments and their feelings too. I'll leave it there, Athena, uh, because of time, but thanks for that. And that's corkfolklore.org if you want to do more and contribute to the history as it shall be written of these extraordinary and strange times in which we live. Coming up in the midday news, how much did you raise for our frontline legends on Friday? We think you'll be pleasantly surprised. That's to come. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Fergal. Stay safe. Keep your distance. Wash your hands. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine.